Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the Soundtrack to a Life. Welcome back to the Soundtrack to a Life. I am Chris, as you may well know from having listened to this show. Or if you've never listened to this show before, uh, hello, I am Chris. Welcome to the Soundtrack to a Life. With me here today is Chelsea. Chelsea, tell everybody about yourself. Hello, I'm Chelsea. I'm Chris's fiance. In case you didn't know, but if you haven't been listening, then you wouldn't know. I'm a second year psych major, and I work at the Drop-In Center. That's pretty much me. Nice. And the record we are talking about today is Sleeper's 1996 album, The It Girl. So, here's how I spent my birthday this year. Sleeper, who'd released one of my favorite records of my high school experience, were playing as part of their first tour in 19 years at a small theater in Newcastle in the UK, the day I was turning 40. Stiff Little Fingers were playing the night before. Conveniently, we were in the UK anyway, in order to celebrate my birthday and, it turns out, to get engaged. Inconveniently, Sleeper sold out pretty much immediately. They probably could have done a bigger venue. Or maybe it's better to do a smaller venue, sell it out immediately, and generate buzz about future projects. I don't know. I'm not in a band. Either way, by the time I went to buy tickets, there were none to be had. Still, we're in the UK anyway. Sometimes you gotta trust the universe to have your back. Over the course of my life, I've had a pretty good track record standing in front of venues hoping for the best, as far as sold-out shows go. Plus, like I said, one of my favorite albums of my high school experience, first tour in 19 years, possibly my only chance to catch Sleeper live, let's just go and worry about how we make things work later. So we bought Stiff Little Fingers tickets, and we took a train from London to Newcastle, and Stiff Little Fingers were crazy fun, though that's a story for another day. And the next day, we did some sightseeing around the city. We visited a castle and shopped for vinyl in grainy black and white. And shopped for Newcastle United merchandise for Olav, who follows the team but has never visited the town. You ought to visit Newcastle, Olav. It's a charming city with a lot to offer, from the two days I spent there. And on our way back to drop things off at the hotel, it started to snow pretty hard and you slipped and screwed up your ankle pretty bad and had to tap out, but you insisted I try to make it to the show anyway, since we'd already gone all this way. And I agreed that, yeah, rest up, and I'd see you either after the show or when I gave up trying to get in. So I helped you back to our room and headed back down to the theater and hoped for the best. And that's how I spent my birthday in the blistering cold, standing in front of a show for which I did not have tickets, in a city in which I knew one other person who at that moment was bedridden, hoping for the best. I waited for about an hour, at which point it was pretty clear that the best was not, in this case, going to happen for me. Which is a shame. But life is disappointing sometimes. You manage it as best you can. So once I was ready to admit that taking a train halfway across a country to see a show I didn't have tickets for might have been a flawed as far as plans go, I packed it up and hit the pub across the street from the venue to raise a glass to myself by myself before heading back to the hotel and seeing if you were feeling any better. I deserved a pint, after all. It was St. Patrick's Day, and I was turning 40. So I texted you a photo from the pub and let you know that I was pretty much ready to give up. But as I came out of the pub across the street, the door guy at the venue and someone I did not know saw me and started waving frantically. 
The guy I didn't know had bought two tickets for himself and his wife, but due to illness, she couldn't make it to the show. And he wanted somebody who'd appreciate the band properly to get the available ticket. The door guy remembered I'd been there, and I do not sound local to the area when I speak. So the two of them had been scouting around for me while I'd drank a birthday pint across the street. If I'd gone straight back, I'd have missed the show. And that would have been a shame. Because Sleeper, for the record, absolutely crush it live. I screamed until my lungs ached and sang along to every song in a room full of people who also knew the words to every song. And I experienced a level of connection to art that had shaped me that I very genuinely never expected to experience in my life. By the time I got back to the hotel and we drank a glass of champagne together, I was basically walking on clouds. I couldn't stop smiling. It was as perfect a night as I could possibly have asked for, as you might well remember. I wish you'd been there. Thank you for insisting I go anyway. The It Girl by Sleeper is one of the best power pop records of the 90s, and it manages to be that by focusing on its core strengths. There are themes here, but there's no through line, no grand statement being made. This is the sound of a guitar pop group settling down in a studio to make the best guitar pop album that they knew how to make. And discovering as they made it that the best guitar pop they can make is very fucking good guitar pop indeed. It's meaty and hooky and relentlessly propulsive, and the lyrics are clever and charming and detail-oriented. This is smart music from a band that named its debut album Smart, but it doesn't come off as self-consciously clever. Sleeper settled down to record an album of guitar pop one time and came out of it with 13 songs that are damn near perfect. I listen to the It Girl every two or three months, even now, more than 20 years after it was first released. And every time I do, it still sounds as vibrant as it did the first time I heard it in 1996. I got on a train to see these guys in spite of not having tickets to see these guys. And the songs on this record are why. So Chelsea, you'd never heard the It Girl by Sleeper before, and now you have. Tell me, what do you think? I really liked it. It was much bouncier than I was expecting musically. All of the songs make you kind of want to move. Yeah, they're very move-around-to-them songs. It was actually difficult to sit and listen to it in its entirety without, like, dancing in my chair. It was really great. I very much recall wandering through the streets of Newcastle with you singing Sail of the Century at me for two days. Oh my god, I had <laughs> Sail of the Century stuck in my head forever after yeah. that gig. Yeah, and it was two days of Silly Songs and Sail of the Century, which was fantastic. It was amazing. The first listen through that I did of this album, I was uh, on my way to work, and I don't drive to work anymore, which is fantastic. And so I my headphones on, I the house, and I walk to the train, get to the train just as statuesque is starting, and I literally laughed out loud, because the first line that I hear clearly is, uh, we should spend the night in a small hotel like this drinking champagne, which is what we did the night you saw this show. Absolutely. I came back to the small <laughs> hotel. <laughs> We drank champagne and toasted our engagement and your birthday, and it was a wonderful night. It was an amazing night. Yeah, and while it's sad that I didn't go to the show with you, uh, or go stand outside and wait to see if we could see the show, had I gone, you wouldn't have gotten to see the show, because it was only one ticket. That's very true. So it, it worked out really, really well. I very much liked the contrast uh, between the tempo of the music and the lyrics. The last listen through that I did, I sat down with the lyrics. Oh yeah. And listened to the music and read the, read along with the lyrics. And a whole bunch of it was not what I thought it was. And just listening to it. It was very, uh, very deep, very meaningful and very contrasting to the upbeat tempo of the music. 
So a lot of the lyrics are really depressing. Yeah, there are some cynical takes <laughs> on love and relationships <laughs> to be had here. Yeah, like massively gut-wrenching moments with this like upbeat, poppy bounce to it, which was really which was really neat. And I really like that. That contrast between the the very deep and meaningful and the very accessible music. A lot of music that's that gut-wrenching also comes with a pretty heavy rock beat or a pretty heavy metal beat. So it's a little harder to access the music for most people. Yeah, that's one of the motifs that they go back to. They like to do relentlessly up-tempo tunes about relationships that are just starting to go bad. Very much so. What is it? Nice Guy? Nice Guy Eddie? Nice Guy Eddie. is It's fun, and it's fun to listen to, and then you sit down and you read the lyrics and you go, Ah! That's a bit of a toxic relationship right there. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Okay. But, I mean, the people from What Do I Do Now aren't happier. No. <laughs> They're really, really not. They're really, really not. And sitting down with the lyrics for Statuesque, I really liked the imagery of carving a person out of stone and putting all of the things that you want in a, in a happy relationship into this carving and then getting a person on the other end. Not 100% what you were after, but it's okay. Yeah, it was good. I also really liked that about half the songs follow a traditional pop format. So verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse. And about half the songs are flat poetry. The structure of them is more story-based. It's less verse, chorus, verse. It's a fluid story without that interrupt, that between each chunk. Yeah, they do really capture vignettes of a certain type of person in a certain type of situation. Everything is very focused and fiddly and detaily. And you get a really s clear sense of who is being sung about by the end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was really nice and... Sitting down and reading the lyrics, they're gorgeously constructed. Does the lead singer do the writing? Yeah, Louise Wiener does the writing nice. uh, for this. She's also written four novels. It will not surprise you, given the uh, level of characterizations contained yeah. in a pop song. Since this, I have read one of them. I have a copy of Goodnight Steve McQueen kicking around here somewhere that is also very good. Cool. I should track down the other three. I'm sure they're out of print by this point doesn't make them not findable in either physical or digital formats. That's very true. And yeah, Goodnight Steve McQueen was charming as hell. A failing pop musician is given an ultimatum by his girlfriend to show meaningful progress in his career or give up his failing band in an attempt to, you know, either get him taken more seriously or give up his failing band. <laughs> Move on and do something else with his life. Yeah. Yeah. And the relationship is basically exactly what you would expect from Luis. <laughs> <laughs> so don't read it when I'm in when I'm feeling a little down. Check. No, it's good. It's funny. <laughs> All right. Yeah, she is funny. The lyrics are there's some dark funny, but still funny little moments in the songs, like in "Dress Like Your Mother," where she's talking about the the different people. So like, wifey works on style mags, thin girls with bruises in her pictures. And you see it. The way that she's painted that picture for you. Yeah. You can see that person and what she's doing every day in two very simple lines, well constructed. You see a very clear image. Yeah. There's a really clear and sharp conservation of detail at work here lyrically. 
Louise Wiener is probably one of my favorite songwriterly songwriters from mid-90s Britpop. Uh, she fits an enormous amount into a song that is then presented with, from the opening bars of Feeling Peaky, the record just like smashes into you. Like there's a real, there's a feeling as this begins that they're assuming you already know them from their debut, that they don't have to bring you up to speed and that we can just go, and then they just go. I love that kind of energy and confidence and assuredness to a piece of music. I also really liked that you can very distinctly tell she is not American. Oh, absolutely In her not. lyrics, in how she writes and the slang she uses and the way she shortens and combines words, it's very clear she's from somewhere in the UK. Yeah, that was a fun part of uh, Britpop in the mid-90s, was that it was so culturally singular and specific to a place and a time as it was coming out, and no concessions were going to be made for outside markets, which probably did limit the marketability internationally of a lot of these bands. Fair enough. But it makes for a really interesting moment that they managed to create there. Yes. Yes, very much so. Because, like, in the UK, this was a huge hit. It hit number five on the UK album charts. It sold 300,000 copies. What Do I Do Now, Sale of the Century, Nice Guy Eddie, and Statuesque all hit the top 20. They did a cover of Atomic by Blondie that was on the train spotting soundtrack this same year. Okay, yeah. Whereas in Canada, I know like four other people who liked Sleeper, and three of them were introduced to them by me. Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds like you, very much so. I definitely was the kid in high school giving everybody tapes of shit they should probably get around to listening to. <laughs> Why didn't you go to my high school? Because I went to my high school. I know. <laughs> Visited your high school. I know. That's where I know you from. <laughs> it's not like I didn't meet you while you were there. That's that's very true. That's very true. But yeah, I definitely wasn't expecting what I got for this album. It was a lot, like I said, lighter and bubblier and bouncier than I was expecting musically, which is not usually my thing. I don't usually go for the the bouncy and no more. You're into much louder guitars. Yeah as we will discover in two weeks. Yes. <laughs> There's some guitars in there. But yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a very different thing for uh, me to listen to. It sounded very poppy, but with, like I said, with that darker, grittier undertone, which made it almost raw Yeah. in, in its presentation. She's telling you a story, and it's a crappy story, but she's trying really hard to put a wash of sunshine over it. Yeah, she doesn't bit. want to depress you. <laughs> she doesn't want she, to bring you down. She wants you to come back and listen to some more. So she doesn't want to be like, so there was this guy and it went really shitty and now I keep seeing him around town. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was an okay relationship. Everything was fine. We just weren't clicking. Is more what she wants you to get out of this? Even though she's very clearly, it was shitty. Yeah, I'll buy that. And it's not, you're right, there is a certain amount, like, lyrically, of rawness to this, but also just, like, sonically. Like, it's not, it's well-produced, but it's not overproduced. Yes. A number of people have suggested that I listen to mid-2000s guitar pop records, and one of the things that that has 
brought to my attention was just the difference in amount of production yeah. be between this in 1996 and something recorded 10 years later. I can see that. Yeah, it definitely didn't sound synthetic or fake. It sounded like she was actually sitting in a studio yeah, this is a, with a guitar. This is a tight band of four people, but they're actually bashing it out. Yeah, and they don't need to go in with the faders and the synthesize and change what it sounds like. Yeah. I would assume they sounded almost exactly the same live. Yeah, they sounded so good live. They were super tight, and the energy in the room was incredible. A lot of people remember Sleeper really fondly. The room was just packed tight. With dudes your age. Women my age as well. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Everybody was within about five years of each other. That would probably be fair to say. That makes sense. And just happy to be there. Yeah, everybody was overjoyed. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Uh, 19 years between tours makes your new tour an event. Yeah. And either it sells out in five minutes or you get crickets. Oof. Depending on how long it's been and how beloved you are by your fan base. In this case, very. Which is excellent. Which is a shame you missed it, but you had to miss things while we were in the UK. I overscheduled the two of us, frankly, because I have an unlimited amount of energy. Yes. And you have a more moderate amount of energy. Yes, and I have terrible ankles and strained my Achilles tendon on walking tour day, like oh. a week before. <laughs> but you needed both of those walking tours in your life. Yeah, yeah, I, my life would not have been complete without either of those very different pictures of London. Yeah. But, yes, yes, a strained Achilles tendon the week before and then slipping in the snow and half falling off a curb did not make for able to walk back up that hill in Newcastle for this girl. That checks out. We put a lot of strain on your ankles and your knees over the course of that three weeks. Yes. I may pack a cane next time. <laughs> or be aware that we're going to be walking everywhere and prepare yourself in advance for that. that that's very true. Walking, I, have, I have started doing that. Yeah, Walking everywhere gets easier the longer that you do it. Yes, yes it does. So if you had to guess, what song do you think they closed with? Off of this album? It was a song off of this album, yes. Click Off Gone? Ooh, that would have been a fun one. No, it was a low energy. It would be a little low energy to show. Close oh, again. yeah, I guess that would be a little show, a little, a little bit on the, the downer side. Well, then either... It's one of their big hits. You close on the big hit. Yeah, so it was either Sale of the Century or Statuesque. Yeah, it absolutely was Sale of the Century. Which I was a little bit surprised by, because for some reason I thought that In Between or Off Their Debut was their main song. All right, fair enough. Which I think in Canada, to the degree that they got big enough to have a main song, it was. It was the one getting CJSW college radio play when it was coming out at the very least. But no, it was Sale of the Century and everyone in the room lost their mind. And I immediately realized that it was absolutely the correct choice. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, it's, yeah, it's it's a good song with a, a very upbeat tempo that you could just jam the shit out of. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of throttle. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely a lot of throttle. And it's long. <laughs> like, it's a longer song than some of the other ones. Some of them are only two verses and a chorus and then repeat, but it's a longer, there's more story Yeah, this song, which makes it a nice one to close on. That makes sense. They have it a Watchmen song. I'll sing it occasionally. For my birthday. All right, I'm going to sing you Sail of the Century by Sleeper on your birthday. 
Nice. Uh, listeners at home, by the time you hear this, that will have happened, and when it will have either gone well or poorly, depending how much I drink. And how much I drink. It is my birthday. How much you drink will not affect my singing. No, but it may or may not affect my enjoyment of your singing. That's true. I, although you've never told me this, imagine that there is a point of drunkenness in which my antics become very annoying. Um. <laughs> that all depends on whether we're out or at home. When we're out, you hold that shit together surprisingly well. I keep it tight. Like, you wouldn't know how drunk you were while we're out. Yeah. Amazing. Best face forward. Yes. But once we're home, you can let the... It's when the Nicolas Cage face comes off and the John Travolta face comes on. <laughs> no. It's when the John Travolta face comes off and the Nicolas Cage face comes on? No. Okay, I only have those two faces. Oh. Which one do I like better? I, I don't know. One of them's a metaphor for holding it together. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one is not. I guess. So but then like, it would be both the... of those celebrities held it together very poorly. Yeah. I guess if you're going to take like a little bit outside of the face-off reference, it'd be the John Travolta face coming off and the Nicolas Cage face going off. And then comes the constantly screaming. Yes! <laughs> there we go. <laughs> not that you constantly scream while drunk, but... I sometimes do while sober. That's very true. That's very true. But yeah, all of the uh, all of the bands of this ilk that were happening at the time put forward a very energetic, uh, propulsive, poppy sound as they were doing it. It is fun music to move around to, which is why I'm always haranguing Dickens to do more Britpop nights and haranguing people to join me at Britpop night, which they rarely do, which is why Dickens does not do it that often. That's valid. Yeah, and they're a business. Yep. But, like, me and the 14 other Britpop kids in Calgary... <laughs> yep. ...would appreciate it very much if other people wanted to join us on this adventure. I have a t-shirt from a sleeper show that I've purchased, and I would like an event appropriate to wear it to. That makes sense. Yeah. The poster that you got from that show, did you meet the band and have them sign it, or was it pre-signed? I, unfortunately, did not get to meet the band. It was pre-signed. Fair enough. It was the kind of energy... I'm referring to it as a smaller hall because it was not the size of the venue in which we'd seen Stiff Little Fingers the night before. Okay. It was still too large of a venue for the band to come out and meet and greet afterwards. Fair. All right. Uh, there were there were too many people for that. They were swamped. It just was very slightly smaller than the place that we'd most recently been. It was still larger than, for example, the room in which I'd watched Open Mike Eagle previous. Yeah. Or Scott Bradley. That place was pretty huge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. I was I was really surprised by the crowd that Scott Bradley's postmodern jukebox... Managed to turn. Managed to turn. Mostly in that I had kind of assumed that they were more of a YouTube thing than a touring band. But also, Scott Bradley's rad as hell. Yeah. If you guys get the chance to see Scott Bradley, go check that out, too. That was an amazing show. My favorite part was the people who danced more, the drunker they got. Those guys were great. So they danced more, but their ability to dance got worse. And then they were just kind of swinging and tripping over each other. It's quite entertaining to watch. But isn't that how dancing works? Your willingness to dance goes up as your ability to dance goes down. And then you want to hit that sweet spot where the two connect. Yes. And that's when you're killing it. Yes. 
that makes total sense. But they were actually swing dancing. Yeah. Like, which is something that has a set of, like, choreographed steps that people know, because everybody took in social dance in school. Did uh, everyone learn how to swing dance in high school, or did only people our age learn to swing dance in high school? No, because my brother learned to swing dance in high school. That's true. And right. he's six years younger than me. So, it's just part of that social contract you have with other humans, where at some point you must learn to dance, because everyone will go to a wedding someday. Yeah, but you don't have to learn to swing dance. There are many dancers. This is very true. It's very, very true. But you can swing in, dance to almost anything. Like, in 50 years, or not even, like, 30, 40 years, when wedding DJs are asked to put on something for the old people, they're going to put on Cranked Ass Soldier Boy. It has a simple dance that is easy to learn. People who liked Soldier Boy will remember that dance 30 years from now. It will come on at a wedding in much the same way that, for example, Do the Hustle by Disco Tex and the Sex Olets. <laughs> Comes on now. Or Mambo number five. Or Mambo number five will be one of the ones they play, absolutely. And all of the old people at the wedding, the aunts and the uncles and whatnot, will crank that soldier boy and furthermore, Superman that hoe. Ooh. Ouch. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> swing dancing at our wedding? <laughs> I'd rather not. I'm not a strong swing dancer. Uh, me neither. It'll be disastrous and hilarious, and happily, very few people will see it. That's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> so the record's produced by Stephen Street, who just worked in UK indie music forever. Okay. I read his Wikipedia of records he'd produced. Because like I'm familiar with him, and I'm familiar with his work, and I knew that I had a bunch of records that he'd produced. But just like pages. <laughs> All right. The man works constantly. He's produced The Smiths, he's produced Morrissey Solo, he's produced a bunch of records for Blur. He produced the first two Cranberries records, he produced Kaiser Chiefs' debut, and he just he worked with Sleeper throughout their run as a band. The first time around, which I knew that he was an important figure production-wise, I didn't really know how overwhelming. Similar to Niles... Niles Rogers from Niles Chic Rogers making from Chic. all of the pop music from the eighties. Yeah, yeah, and it does. It does give the fact that he worked on so many of these records gives a sense of uniformity to indie music of the period. Mm, a sound, an actual like concrete sound for the genre. Yeah, the songs don't sound the same, but they sounded like they were recorded as one piece, which lends a uh, certain strength to the scene as a whole. I think that makes sense. What other bands fall into this scene? Um, that you would know? The ones that exported were Oasis and Blur. Suede was part of this. Pulp was part of this. And then there were a swack of other bands. Echo Bellies and Shed Sevens and Jeans and whatnot. Fair enough. That did not export very much at all. Because it's time for Fun Pet Theory Corner <laughs> here on the Soundtrack to a Life podcast. This was a fun, uh, really culturally specific guitar pop genre Okay. that happened in the mid-90s and didn't export well to other countries because it was too centralized within its nation of origin. It was too British to export? Yeah. And the reason that it didn't catch on more in Canada was that we had one of those. Fair. Yeah, we did. This was, this was the period where we were doing like Sloan and The Odds and 5440. 
and Grapes of Wrath and all of those early 90s, mid 90s cassette bands that were enormous stars within Canada, also doing very nationally specific power pop records that did not export because they were too specific to Canada. And also, when they arrived in the UK, they ran up against Britpop, who went, oh, we're already doing that. <laughs> we have our own groups providing this service to us. Thank you for coming by. Check out the local <laughs> cuisine and tip your bartender on the way out. Yeah. Like, I just think it's interesting, like, how many other countries have, like, eight or ten fun power pop bands that only that one country knows because everybody else was doing it but producing it locally. That makes sense. Because really, out of those cassette bands, who really broke wide? Slung like, a little bit. Did they do anything outside of Canada? Like, Bare Naked Ladies did, but with, like, a gimmicky song that people in Canada kind of hate. Yeah, and Our Lady Peace did, but they're more rock. And I Mother Earth didn't break that wide. They were fairly Canadian. And Crash Just Dummies did, but again, with a gimmicky song that Canadian fans of the band kind of find their least favorite song. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So which Canadian bands have broken wide? Ever? Ever. <laughs> Tons. Alright. Like, especially more recently. Like, Fair enough, yeah, more recently. Brian Adams did, Tom Cochran did, if we're only talking about 90s bands. Alright. Uh, Celine Dion did, Shania Twain did. More recently... Bieber, Drake, and The Weeknd had more than 50% of the Billboard Hot 100 chart for singles simultaneously one time. <laughs> Fair enough. More than half of the pop music being consumed <laughs> was by one of those three dudes, which A, well done, those three dudes. B, well done, I'll take my natural pride where I can get it. And C, that sounds fucking intolerable. <laughs> Oh. Are you saying every other song I'm going to listen to is going to be by one of those three dudes? I can't live that life. No. This is why I don't listen to I like, Top 100 I like, Radio. I like Drake and I keep meaning to get into The weekend. That can't be 50% of my pop music. No, especially not when the rest of it is Bieber. Well, Bieber. He's mm. not for me. No. He's not for Chris's. But he isn't meant to be. No. I have a really good attitude for music that I'm not meant to like. Fair enough. Because, do you know what? I don't have to have an opinion. It's true. Bieber is for 14-year-olds. That's true. Who are too old for children's music. And too young to discover punk rock. Yes. I am not that person. So I don't need to have an opinion. And, arguably, I don't get to have an opinion. That's fair. He's nailing it with the sort of people who like Bieber. Yes. And there was a band for you when you were... A 14-year-old who hadn't listened, who hadn't found punk rock yet, was too old for children's music. No, it was just punk rock. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I was going to say, and that's probably a story, but you went straight from children's music to punk rock? Mm. I went straight from children's music to fraggle rock, which sounds like a bit. <laughs> that is a genre of music. There was a weird show on CGSW. <laughs> Right? Fair enough. I learned a lot about a lot about weird subgenres of music that would not and arguably should not be relevant to my life. Fair enough. I don't know that I ever listened to CJSW. Really? Really. But that's a story for two weeks from now. Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. 
Uh, so what else do you want to talk about? What's up with Louise's voice? I like it. It's so great. I like it. It's like, sweet and gravelly at the same time. And very warm amid the bubbles. Yeah. it's uh, She does like that weird hiccup scoop thing. Yeah. That she does coming into lines. I'm sure that a trained vocalist would have strong opinions on, but I'm not a trained vocalist. And I just, it sounds really fresh and interesting. It's definitely distinctive to her. Yeah, it puts a real uniqueness onto the songs that she's presenting. Mm-hmm. Sleepers sound like no other band in the world. And a lot of that is the way she sings. Yeah, and I could, uh, I can imagine that a lot of people come to her, like come to Sleeper, based on that fact, because they're just looking for something that sounds distinctive. Because a lot of top 40s radio, no matter where you go, it runs into each other. Right now, you'll have all of that Taylor Swift sounding music. I might be dating myself a little. I don't know what's popular right now. But it doesn't matter if you're listening to a Taylor Swift song or you're listening to a random other female pop singer. It sort of bleeds. You're not 100% sure who's singing. Yeah, so much of very mainstream pop is written by the same five or six teams of songwriters for the artist. Whereas during this period, at this time, as this music was coming out, it was bands doing it for themselves. And like, before I sound all punk snobby, this is definitely pop music. Yes! Like, this is radio top 40 chart music as it was presented in this country at this time. Yes. And it's very distinct for when and where it exists. It's similar to listening to an Our Lady Peace song from 1996 and being able to pick it out from any other band. Because Rain Maida's voice is distinctive. Yeah. Especially in that era. Nobody else is doing that weird thing Rain Maida does with his voice. <laughs> that weird, whiny thing he does with his voice, which so many people hate and I have always loved. Yeah, it's take or leave. Yeah. It's definitely good. And it made him stand out from everything. The only other thing... Like, you had Kurt Cobain's voice. Yep. Very distinct. Pick out a Nirvana song anywhere. And then there was nothing. And then there was Rain Maida's voice. And then he stopped doing it. And it was super annoying. He probably got nodes on his throat. Yeah. Like, it can't have been good for his voice. No. That kind of thing is not sustainable over the long term. No, definitely not. Uh, another thing I should bring up is the whole... We've talked about the songwriting that Louise has done and uh, the way that she sings and the way that she presents these songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's three other dudes in this band. That... Yes. <laughs> I would guess a drummer, a bassist, and a guitarist. Uh, that would probably be accurate. <laughs> um, the sleeper blokes. This was an issue at the time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, sleeper bloke got coined by the UK-based music press to describe that thing where a band has a superhumanly charismatic front woman and then three random indie dudes who stand behind her in press photographs. And sleeper aren't the first band to have done this dynamic that would arguably be i guess like blondie or something and they weren't the only band in this period doing it echo belly had a superhumanly charismatic female lead singer and three indie guys in the background so did saint etienne 
I think Salad did, but I was never that into Salad. Salad fans, get at me. I'll do an episode with you. But Sleeper was the band that thought it was hilarious and leaned way into it. Like the other three dudes got matching Sleeper Bloke t-shirts. <laughs> Thanks. And if I remember correctly, they had a batch of press photographs where it was shot such that she was the only one in focus. Cool. And they were just kind of a blurry mass. <laughs> Has it always been the same three dudes? It's been the same three dudes. Yeah, no, this is a band. All right. This is not... <laughs> so it's not a Human League thing? No, like, Andy co-writes about half of this record with her, and they are a tight band that's been working together for a long time. Uh, that's why they split up, rather than just recasting whenever whatever happened happened. And by whatever happened, I mean the implosion of Britpop toward the late 90s. <laughs> Oasis put out a record that was a little bit shitty, and Blur tried to sound like Pavement. And Pulp put out a real paranoid record that, while delightful, was not radio-friendly. And Suede finally did enough cocaine. And all of the other bands got dragged down with them. Ooh, ouch. Just they blew up the scene. And the fact that the scene lasts about six years. Yeah. Like, punk lasted from about 76 to 82 the first time around. This lasted from, like, 92 to 98. That's... How long it takes for people to be ready for the next scene. How long for the next scene to emerge out of the last one. Yeah. So they did this, and then they put out one album after this, which is good. I don't think I got as much out of it. Part of that might be the fact that it was not available anywhere that I could buy it as it was coming out. So by the time I managed to get my hands on a copy, I was getting it through iTunes, and I was in like my late 20s. And you can't compare music that you listen to for the first time in your late 20s to music that you listen to for the first time in high school, that is an unfair comparison to make. Yes. Because you are not as receptive. Yeah, definitely in a different emotional place in your mid-20s than you are in your late teens. Yeah. So it never got released outside the UK as it was coming out, and I listened to it like a decade later, and uh, it was good. It wasn't this, but it wasn't the kind of record that deserves to sync a band in a perfect world. Like, they should have been able to do more music like this. But I don't think the UK alternative music scene takes care of its own in the same way that Canada's does. Like, Sloan haven't been on the radio for a number of years, but they're still putting out a record every two, and it still does okay, because they're a national goddamn treasure. And they tour constantly. Oh, yeah, you can see Sloan three times in a year if you want. Which, maybe that'll happen again. Sleeper have a new record coming out early next year that I would heartily recommend. Everyone at home... Go buy. Pre-order it from Pledge Music, which they're using to do pre-sales and fundraising to fund the recording, and then have copies of it shipped to Canada in the hopes of convincing them to play some dates in Canada while they're supporting this record, because they're super fun live, and I would love to see them again. Maybe they'll be in Ireland when we're in Ireland. We're going to find out. <laughs> but that is the 50-minute mark, so I guess we're coming to the end of talking about Sleeper. Yeah, I guess I covered everything I want to. Awesome. I'm going to close with three questions because I close with three questions on this show. Chelsea. Yes. Having listened to The It Girl by Sleeper multiple times over the course of preparing for this episode, do you think you're going to listen to this record again going forward? Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Right on. Will you be interested in checking out the rest of this band's catalog? Yeah. I think that might be a thing that I will do. They're super fun, and I really enjoyed listening to it, and it's definitely... The tempo and format is definitely like... 
background music worthy. Oh, while you're doing stuff? While you're doing stuff. But, like, you're cleaning the house, doing the dishes, so you can still focus on the music. Yeah. I versus studying for a final exam where you're not really listening to what you're listening to. I could see this being good puttering around music. Yeah. And finally, if you had to pick one song off this record to close the episode with, what would you pick? Statuesque. We're closing on Statuesque. <laughs> this has been the Soundtrack to a Life. Uh, I have been Chris. Follow along on Facebook and Twitter at SoundtrackCast. We are at SoundtrackCast.com. Like us, rate us, review us. Reviews are incredibly helpful in getting the word out. Share us. Tell your friends in person about us. Chelsea, you don't have an online presence or project that you're working on. No. I live with you. I'm not even going <laughs> to. No, I have a Facebook and that's about it. Yeah, and also don't invite randos to no. follow you on Facebook. No. So Chelsea has nothing. Just see her in person. Tell her hi. Convince her to come back. Getting her on this show the first time took some doing. This has been the soundtrack to a life, and we will see you in two weeks for a very different album from this. Mm -hmm.